0: presents a conversation i want to make one thing perfectly clear: a dialogue what are you prepared to do an astute debate
1: everything that's in the law and a peek behind the curtain of politics and then what are you prepared to do
2: i think chicago is not only the center of the country i think it's the center of the world don't
0: tread on them where did this statement come from this is the sunday spin your host is the chicago tribune's rick pearson good sunday evening everyone i'm rick pearson of the chicago tribune and welcome to this edition of the sunday spin for april the 5th 2020 welcome to our look at the world of politics and policy as we take you from city hall to the state house and all the way on to the white house so time to take a break and we'll try to get you prepared for what the week ahead may bring well we're going to start right into today's show uh Just to let you know, the White House is advising that uh, even though there had not been a planned uh, public press briefing of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, they are now advising that something will take place uh, and roughly scheduled about 6 p.m. Central Time. Obviously, we'll keep you up to date on everything going on with that. And uh, if the White House, uh, when the White House, uh, has this briefing? We'll uh, we'll cut right in, but it's roughly looking at sometime uh, around six o'clock or so. So just be aware of that. But we're going to uh, focus uh, our show right now on organized labor and how it's dealing with the coronavirus. And joining me now is Bob Reiter. Bob is the president of the Chicago Federation of Labor. The CFL is the third largest central labor council of the AFL-CIO. Represents nearly 300 unions and labor organizations, representing over half a million union members in Chicago and Cook County. Bob, thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday
2: thanks Rick. It's a little weird, you know I've been on your show before, but I've been staring across the room at you and
0: you know but you sound close well good good i mean it's uh, it's a little weird for everybody these days let's face it yeah no it's it's really it's really you know something that takes a lot of adjusting
2: to, but you know what we're doing now hopefully will help flatten the curve and we can get back to uh being uh all being in a place where we can, you know, see each other face to face and communicate like we're used to. Uh, we're all hoping
0: for that, believe me. Bob, I, I, I'm, I was curious, and and this kind of struck me as, you know, obviously we had the governor's stay-at-home order, except for essential employees, from uh, around March 21st, I believe it was, and and I guess, uh, do we have too many essential employees under those guidelines?
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a fair question. It's also a difficult question to answer. You know, the way way our society is set up, the way um, work is set up, is you know, there's so many things that are that are inter interdependent on one another. Um, you have you have construction related to food supply through upkeep of facilities. You have healthcare workers. You, I mean, it's you it's not a it's not an easy it's not an easy system to design to the design i'm sure in terms of trying to figure out who's essential and and who's not but um i don't know if you've uh stopped in over uh at your headquarters you know the tribune and either whether it's the tribune or wgn i you know the two buildings aren't far apart apart from each other and the you know the Tribune offices are in the same building I'm in, right. and uh, you know it's it's a ghost town. It's literally a ghost town. So um, I do think that what we have in place now has um, definitely created a situation where people are apart from each other, and hopefully, in a way where we can uh, promote uh, social distancing and stop the spread of the virus. Um, you know, essential employees. And, you know, a lot of the essential employees that are out there working right now are members of, um, you know, the affiliate unions that I represent. Right. Uh, Also, clerks, letter carriers, um, truck drivers, grocery store clerks, and then the people that are, I mean, they're all first responders in some way, in my view. But then we also represent, you know, the doctors and nurses And the LPNs and the service people at Cook County Hospital, nurses and service folks at um, many other hospitals like the University of Chicago. Uh, We represent people at Northwestern um, and so many other safety net hospitals around Chicago. And these are the folks, um, you know, that are out there um, in the trenches, as it were, fighting for our health and safety.
0: And uh, deserve our thanks, absolutely. I, I, but there's a,
2: but Rick, ahead. there's another group, too, I think, that deserves everybody's thanks as well that have been affected by this crisis. You know, the trade show industry um, started to um, unwind at the end of February, beginning of March, and the amount of people that are um, that work in that industry, whether it's the hotel Hotel um, maids, the um, folks who build the trade show exhibits and the Place, the people that are stagehands in our city's theaters, these these people all went to virtually hundred percent unemployment. And you know the you know the thought behind that is, you know, as the as we start limiting gatherings, those industries need to need to scale back down and shut down. And those, all those folks are suffering economically, but they're, you know, they're doing it for the, for the common good, as it were. And I think we need to take a lot of appreciation for that, and also keep that in mind for those of us who can continue to work, whether it be for home or other, or other means. You know, the don't forget the people who lost their jobs in this crisis. So we could all promote social distancing
0: and you know protect the health and safety of our greater society we're speaking to bob Ryder. he's the president of the chicago federation of labor i'm rick pearson you're listening to the sunday spin this is the sunday spin on 720 wgn once again here's rick pearson of the chicago tribune Welcome back to your Sunday spin on the Sunday evening. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline Studio. And joining me on the phone is Bob Ryder. He's the president of the Chicago Federation of Labor. Uh, Bob, I was curious, you know, we obviously we touched on essential employees, but I mean, we are confronting issues like, you know, separation and wearing masks those kinds of things and you know some of these people that we obviously we know about the healthcare industry and what they're facing but i'm curious what about as far as social distancing and uh, those kinds of protections uh, on the job site of others who are deemed as essential employees no that's an important question i mean
2: workers are sacrificing for the city and this country and all of us owe them a debt of gratitude. And one of the challenges that they face is being able to, you know, make sure that their health and safety is safeguarded. I mean, look at grocery store workers, um, pharmacists, you know, we represent all those folks. There's a lot of concern around making sure that they have the proper personal protective equipment, that there's hand sanitizer, that they have masks because they're not, Say you go into a grocery store right, and you're you 're there for an hour well the you know you have exposure for yourself for that hour, but then you 're going back home these These folks that are working in these stores they 're exposed for their entire shift right, and I think it's something that we have to make sure that people have them you know have the forefront of their mind, so you know i we're seeing more practices at some of these stores where they're starting to separate customers but when you when you pull up to the grocery store and you see the parking lot packed just you know think to yourself are you oh you know you're not just putting yourself at risk and you're not just putting the other customers at risk you're putting everyone that works in that store at risk so you see that parking lot crowded you know maybe look at coming back later because those those folks have you know they're they're taking people as they come as they as they arrive in the door
0: i mean I've seen obviously at the grocery store we're seeing more stores putting up kind of uh, plastic dividers to separate the the uh, cashier from the customers and that kind of thing, but also in in these stores, let's face it uh, sometimes you can't you can't get six feet of separation to go down an aisle. Um, and to have these store workers I mean I, are they getting the the, the frontline support they need?
2: I mean I think it varies by it varies by location it varies by employer I know that um, some of the employers are have, have expressed their concern and wanting to you know put more um, things like you're talking about in terms of the separators but at, at the same time you know, I don't know that they're doing enough yet. Um, we've had a lot of complaints around properly um, stocking with sanitizer for our pharmacists. And, you know, they're coming into contact potentially with people who may have a variety of different illnesses um, every day. And, you know, that in and of itself, aside from the coronavirus, can help um, compromise their immunity. Right, and then make them more susceptible to
0: COVID-19. So are we just kind of really, in all of this, like you know, with everything else, are we just kind of writing the rules as we go here? I mean, I
2: I, I think that the CDC's put out a lot of good guidelines. I know that in some of our workplaces that, you know, construction sites, I know that there's a lot of uh, contractors that are putting up, um, you know, making sure that the job sites are following the CDC guidelines. But this is something else that I want to say. If, if, you're a, if you're listening right now and you're a union worker anywhere in the city and you think that your employer isn't following guidelines or taking, um, taking care of you on your job as an essential employee, you need to call your union and tell them, right? Don't put your health and safety in the hands of the employer put it in the hands of yourself and the people that are your voice on the job site. Um, Rick, I think that there's a lot of people that are, that mean well, both on both sides of the fence, um, you know, in terms of our workers and the, um, and the employers. But my job is to make sure that the workers are, are protected and that they're given, they're given the proper PPE. So we're going to keep, we're going to keep you know elevating that, making sure that people are paying attention. Um, you know, whether they're whether um, there's disagreement over who's who should be essential and who's not, I feel a responsibility to all of them. That if they're out in the front lines for us, we need to make sure that they're that they have the proper they have the proper um, CDC um, guideline equipment and protective gear to make sure that we keep them safe
0: well and i think uh, just the other day governor pritzker kind of echoed what you were saying as far as uh, if there are employers telling people who feel sick that they have to come into work that uh, that the, the, the they need to be reported for doing that
2: yeah and i i think right now um anyone who i, I think that anyone who believes that their employer is going to come after them for showing up to, you know, because they don't come into work because they're sick or they don't feel well or because uh, they're, they, they're afraid that their employer won't take their fear of getting sick seriously. I think we need to take a look at those employers. And there's the, They're the ones who should have fear and shame, not the worker.
0: Um. We mentioned about job sites and those kinds of things. What about as far as uh, employers notifying people, uh, these essential employees at various jobs, that their colleagues may have may have uh, tested positive?
2: Well, I know of a few instances where that's happened and the employer has shut the job down, um, ordered deep cleaning of, of the work site and uh, before they cleared everyone to come back and you know sometimes this you know it's even involved uh, someone who had been exposed who was on multiple um, work sites and all those work sites were closed but i will tell you that i don't believe that that's likely to happen in every instance and we need to be vigilant about holding holding people accountable um whether that's that's the top of the food chain or some intermediate supervisor the workers of the city need to make sure that if they're out there helping to hold our our society and our economy and our structure and our safety net together that they also have the protections they should have
0: but there is also a responsibility on the worker too
2: oh absolutely absolutely and we would you know i i'm the first one to say um if you're sick stay home i mean i have you know, I you know, I have people in my family who um who would be susceptible and vulnerable to this virus. Um I'm trying to do everything I can to protect my my family members. Um I think everyone needs to um share in that responsibility. And that's that's also why, you know, you look at all those workers who are now sitting at home because their industry shut down and they and you know, they're the most vulnerable economically, right? Some of these people are gonna lose their health care if they haven't already lost it. Right. And it's not it's not something that could a switch that could be flipped, oh, I had health care through my employer, now I'm gonna jump on the ACA. We need to do more for those for those people, whether it's going to Congress and asking for health care protections for for those individuals or people who can work at home. Don't have your kids playing with the neighbors' kids. Right? Don't 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 think that you're somehow Immune in your neighborhood, and you can go have a party in someone's driveway. Be responsible, whether it's whether you're sitting in your house or you're at work. Be responsible. Let's let's slow this thing down. Let's not break our healthcare system, and let's protect our frontline workers.
0: Well, and the reason I bring this up is a text message, basically some uh, a, a, a laborer and and some people uh, tested. Uh, positive and they're uh, probably afraid of losing their job losing their paycheck losing their insurance they're still showing up at job sites yeah
2: one of the things that we fought for um here both from chicago um with with our uh, elected leaders in washington and senator durbin and all of our great people and senator duckworth and all of our great uh, folks from the congressional delegation was to get direct payments to workers um, to get that $600 added to unemployment. And in this next round, we're fighting to get COBRA protection. So if someone gets thrown off their health care, much like they did in during the housing crisis in 2008, that we supplement their um, COBRA payments so they can maintain their health care and take, take as much of that anxiety as, uh, away as possible
0: obviously there's talk even though we've gone phase three which is is, you know part of those uh, expansion of unemployment benefits as well as uh, direct payment to uh, workers what what do you want to see besides maybe cobra coverage uh, for a a phase four bill
2: well I i gotta be honest with you what there's since this started since this started really ramping up in terms of focusing on federal legislation, you know, blowing past, you know, what the Trump administration was calling for and working with our elected leaders, we've had been, the CFL has been focused almost completely on that healthcare piece. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are supporting and working on all the other things that have, that have um, come along the way, like direct payments to workers. We were calling for that and working um, with our, with our folks on um, paid leave benefits. But the thing that I learned in my career back during the housing crisis was how critical those COBRA payments were. And I don't know that people realize, you know, what can happen, especially for our folks on multi-employer uh, health care funds. You know, their reserves right now are even threatened by um, how crazy the stock market's been. Being able to maintain that health, maintain that health insurance for, I don't know, you know, are we going to be are we going to be in this thing for twelve months? You know, are, are, when are some of these industries going to come back? How long can people hold out on the on the health plan that they have right now? And do we want to see them get thrown off? So while we've been working on every other piece, our our efforts that we've been trying to lead on has been that health care piece. I've got my. I continue myself and the rest of my team to have our eye on that ball.
0: That's Bob Ryder. He is president of the Chicago Federation of Labor. And uh, Bob, like uh, a lot of people, will be looking to see what kind of uh, healthcare expansion coverage is included in any phase four legislation. Bob, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Rick. Thank you so much. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Welcome to your next half hour of the Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. We're continuing our discussion about uh coronavirus and issues involving organized labor. Next week, uh, next week's show, we have uh, scheduled, rescheduled actually, uh, representatives from the business community, Rob Carr from the Retail Merchants Association, as well as Mark Densler, the head of the Illinois Manufacturers Association. We're going to talk to them about, uh, obviously, the impact on from the business community. Uh, We talked to Bob Reiter earlier, and joining me now on the phone is Dan Montgomery. Dan is the the president of the Illinois Federation of Teachers. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. No,
1: my pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Uh, How are you?
0: Oh, I'm like everybody else. We're uh, all trying to make do here in uh, kind of a brave new world situation. It's uh, always interesting to come into the radio station on Sunday, even a gorgeous Sunday like today, and just the shock of seeing Chicago virtually deserted.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I know, and then you think every once in a while I think, well, I watch a hockey game, and we can't even do that.
0: <laughs> no, but you can listen to the, the twenty ten games, yep. including tonight at six. Oh, uh, but great. Uh, yeah, and and you know, I, I I was actually I have to admit because we always talk. Dan and I talk about hockey and sports, but I was actually for a brief moment watching ESPN, where they were showing uh, two guys at a EA video game competition using <laughs> Madden NFL 2020. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, yes, I'm getting a little bit uh, starved for some sports. Right.
1: Action. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. You got to check yourself every once in a while.
0: <laughs> well, I, I I wanted to have you on much earlier, and this actually kind of tied back to uh, when. Uh, Governor Pritzker uh, announced the the shutdown of the schools. And, yeah. uh, you know, now we're even past what the shutdown date would be to uh, now we're looking at April 30th at the earliest. Although when you look at uh, the governor's daily press briefing and he talks about when the apex of uh, the virus here in Illinois may hit, uh, it could be right around then. It could be late april and and i I guess you know what what should we make of this school year we're not like other states right now where they have basically ended their school year but are are, are we in a position where we should just kind of look ahead do that and and figure out how to adjust from there
1: well i think um you know, I think teachers and schools and school leaders have been really focused on what do we do in the moment here, right? And uh, when we first went out around April 16, seven, or excuse me, March 16, 17, you know, there were some school districts that were on spring break. At that time, remember, there were, oh, about um, maybe 24 school districts before the governor's order who'd already canceled in person classes. Um, in southern Illinois, it's more typical that our schools our schools get out in uh, mid to late May, a little bit earlier than a lot of districts up here. Um, uh, so I think, you know, the focus has been on trying to figure out what we do right now. Um, this week is spring break for my son, who's a sophomore in high school. It's spring break coming up here for uh, CPS as well. So, you know, uh, teachers and, and other school staff are have been really focused on how do we do this it's painful it's painful because for a lot of reasons uh... not just the absence of you know in person communication and that human human experience but we know you know so many of our kids don't have the same kinds of access to resources um... in terms of you know um, computers at home tablets ipads things like that
0: even the internet
1: uh, even the internet you know and that that's true in the city of chicago it's true in the suburbs. It's true there are places far downstate where uh, they don't even have good, you know, cell service in parts of, you know, depending on where you live. You might not have good cell service even at your home.
0: I think there's uh, parts of rural Illinois that are still on dial-up.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, Belleville, uh, which is in the Metro East area, for instance, that's a district where we represent uh, folks, um, they did a really neat thing. They were using their bus drivers to... Uh, Ways it helps keep the bus drivers working, they get paid. Uh, the bus drivers are, are delivering meals to the students out at home, or they had various pickup spots, and the bus drivers were delivering and. Uh, where the buses would be. I think they had three of them around the community at various times. So kids or anyone really in the community could go and and be near the buses and they were near parks and places where people could safely gather or be um, to get some wi-fi but i mean yeah right so that's that's what we we have here and and, and we're talking
0: and for folks who don't know belleville we're talking about you know a relatively you know a, like a suburb of, of yeah, st louis oh, yeah, i it mean is, it's it this is, is yep. not this is not rural you know like cairo or anything like that you know we're, we're talking a very big part of uh illinois population in st Clair county is is belleville so right. don't don't be thinking this is you know uh, somewhere in, in rural Appalachia or something like that
1: no, not at not at all and, and um you know I I heard a teacher talking a, a week or so ago she was a CPS kindergarten teacher um or I'm not sure it's kindergarten but elementary and she said before they went out, she had asked her students, you know, what do you have at home for a computer or internet? And, you know, she said maybe half of them said my mom's cell phone. So, you know, you have to then think about, well, how do you spin that out, right? You So that mom, maybe she's home, but maybe she's out at work every day. Um, you know, m- maybe that child could have some time you know on her cell phone doing some uh, version of online work possibly even if it's only watching some videos or something but uh, there's other siblings maybe what if there's an older sibling in high school you know so this is this is exposing. Like I think you know, I'm not the first person to observe this, but this uh, this pandemic is exposing some serious weaknesses and fault lines in in our country, and not only along you know race and class uh, and socioeconomic things, but just even along you know infrastructure um, in in parts of our country. So. Um, if you know i i keep thinking to myself when we get through this if there's any good that can, can come out of this it's that we really have a new resolve you know to uh rebuild our country's human infrastructure if you will and everything like the things we're talking
0: about well and 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 you know i'll admit i take for granted the the technology i mean it's it's how i work and you know in in media we tend to be kind of ahead of the curve on some of the technology but i was kind of thinking about how you know before uh the pandemic we were seeing all these great stories about uh, or, or even commercials for 5g technology right. and and how this was going to change the world and here you're looking at you know 5g technology moving forward whereas we're talking about you know there are families that don't even have access to don't have access to wi-fi
1: and You know, and specifically in education, too. I mean, think about it. I was talking to a friend of mine, a colleague of mine that I taught with when I was teaching full-time. He was an English teacher in the high school. I said, well, how is it going? You know, tell me how teaching is going. And the very first words out of his mouth were, well, I can tell you this. Online education is not the future. And, you know, we kind of had a chuckle about it. And, I mean, I I think there's many people who will come out of this experience and say, ah, look at this, distance learning. It's the future. what what i think we all are seeing and i don't think it's just teachers and school staff it's parents and it's students yeah you know there can be parts i'm not saying there there shouldn't be ever online learning or it doesn't have a place or anything like that it can do many wonderful things but look we need the human connection you need to get people in a room together children young people they need the guidance and and the human connection is the way we've taught you know since the beginning of humanity and i don't think that's ever going to change and i uh, i think anyone who thinks that even even where we can do this really well that it's a replacement for in-person learning and all the things if you really think about what happens in school all the social skill building all the the teams the sports the clubs theater music uh whatever it is all that it adds up to a kind of human building experience that we've managed to put together for our children for better or worse and but it can't be replaced online and um you know everybody's soldiering ahead doing their best and there's some really great stuff happening i hear about it every day but you know make no mistake it's um it doesn't replace real school and and where we'd all rather be together in one classroom in one building
0: sure the 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 character building the the culture building and you think of you know uh, as as adults you think of you know that fifth grade teacher that made such a big difference in you know basically uh, propelling you into into your careers Yeah. Uh, yeah
1: that's so true and you know, I've heard we also represent folks in higher ed and community colleges and four-year institutions, and, and every day you can read online. I mean, if you just scan Twitter or Facebook and other social media, you can hear really compelling uh, testimony, if you will, from people who are teaching online. And mind you, in higher ed, there's a greater infrastructure for distance learning, right? I mean, that's been occurring for some time. So they already have, um, in a lot of disciplines, a sort of better means to deliver it, but Time and again, you hear professors and instructors talking about the, the difficulties that their students are living through right now. Um, and uh, it is there's a great article in today's New York Times, I don't know if you saw it, about they profiled a few students who are undergrads and uh, Haverford College in Pennsylvania. And, you know, they have a, a girl there who's on total scholarship, and her parents are on a food truck in Florida. And, you know, the economic devastation here is, is hitting all these students, too.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I did look at, uh, there was a piece that CNN uh, had online about uh, teachers trying to redefine class and only had a few days to kind of do it before uh, schools were shut down. Think about, I mean, at least 124,000 schools have been shuttered across the United States. 124,000 schools. Now, factor in yeah. how many students mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, and obviously, you know teachers still want to try to have a connection here and and I guess uh, true uh, you know and and as I said, some of these teachers, they only had a few days before school's shut down, they don't know what uh, what electronic access they have, they don't know. You know how how do how do teachers in this atmosphere still kind of try to work to maintain that personal uh, environment with the with right students?
1: Now, Teachers I've been talking to, I mean, it's it's a kind of mishmash of a lot of different things, right? Um, if your school has some platform like a Google Classroom or a Blackboard or even Zoom, some schools are using Zoom, though. <laughs> you've all heard about some of the issues there. <laughs> yes, please. Um, uh, you know they're they're using them. Some schools are saying you should have class synchronously. In other words, they've created a new schedule and say you know Tuesday Tuesday morning at eleven a.m. These classes will meet you know online. Um, and when I've asked my teacher colleagues, you know, what is that like? What sort of return are you getting? They're saying it, it varies. It kind of depends on the year. Um, they're sophomores. You know, maybe half of them. Uh, seniors, thirty to forty percent of them, and then so then they follow up because you don't know what the story is. There um, is there sickness in the home? Don't they have internet access? So the teachers, a lot of them are, are making phone calls. Um, they're they're putting out you know emails and things like that. One of the things in our discussions with the state board, and I have to just sort of say right here that the the, the state board, I, I can't heap enough praise on um, one on the governor, but his uh, the deputy governor for education, Jesse Ruiz, state superintendent Carmen Ayala, and his, be the state board and their staff have been really terrific. And the kind of collaboration that we're doing, and we are on the phone every day around this, it's really very inspiring. And, and thank heavens it's working that way. But um, you know, there one of the things we're saying there are like look you can't take attendance the same way but we have to try to reach every kid and so when if if you know persistently you can't get a hold of someone we're then saying well then that's when you've got to reach out and have counselors or social workers try to contact the family in some cases you know i've heard stories they just can't you know maybe the family left and went somewhere you know things like that but um it it is a great concern um i think teachers are teachers are really you know nothing if not creative and know how to do because just in in the best of times the well the the most well-planned lessons you know you never can exactly predict what some sophomore is going to do third period in the middle of julius caesar you know what i mean or in third or fifth grade whatever so oh students
0: students can be very clever
1: yes (laughs) so students so the teachers have to you know think through creatively and they do so people people are using kind of everything in the tool book and then you know learning stuff on the fly here you know if you if you didn't know blackboard, uh, blackboard or zoom you know people are really trying to learn this stuff quickly but again um you know i don't think anyone is is under any pretensions that that we're all gonna we're all gonna get through the rest of the curriculum like we had been able. <coughs> excuse me had been able to or been anticipating um you know, there's there's thinking about grades, right? And we're we're doing grades in a such a way that kids can help the grade, you know, raise a grade from where they were on March 17th up, uh, but not let kids get hurt in terms of grades. Um, but there's a lot of questions. You know, the, we need guidance from the state board, and they're working on it towards graduation requirements and things like that. Um, and we don't. I think the big thing in the education community is we don't want kids to be hurt by this. I know it sounds odd because everybody's being hurt, right? But we want to minimize the interruption, the the setbacks that they're going to experience and uh, and help them.
0: We're speaking with Dan Montgomery, the president of the Illinois Federation of Teachers. And uh, Dan, you got into a point I was going to ask you about is we don't know the kids don't deserve to be hurt by this. Right. And, and yes, we've all been hurt to some degree or what, but it, but I mean, to me, you know, I, I, I look at this as, you know, are we approaching kind of a lost year?
1: Well, you know, you have to remember we've we've got we got about three quarters of the way through the year. Okay, so let's not forget that, right? We a lot of great stuff happened. Um, I I don't I would sort of reject the idea. I've heard someone say this. Well, it's a whole lost year. Uh, let's 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 hang on to that, and for the kids' sake too. I mean, you can spend time, and a lot of teachers I know are spending spending time right now, kind of reviewing and and making more concrete things kids have already learned now, and that's of great value. It really is. Um, so if you're, let's say you're in the CPS or you're up in a lot of school districts in this area, you've had your spring break or you're having it this week, and then you've got about a month of school left, May, and a couple of weeks or a little bit more or a little bit less, depending on where. Um, so uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a lost year. Um, I, you know, we really, I really feel for the the seniors in high school, I mean, I taught high school and this is a time of year that there's a lot of capstone events. You know, there's prom. <laughs> there's commencement. There's so many things that are rituals that you look forward to for your four years of high school, and, and that's hard. And getting into college and wondering like that, and those are big questions. Um, but I'm confident, you know, I, I, who knows what the future holds in terms of how long we're in this phase and what the beginning of next year will be look like, but... You know, we will get back to school. There will come a day we are on the other side of this, and we'll have to take stock. And, and the learning that, that has been lost during this, this time, you know, yeah, it's not going to be easy, but we can work harder and, and bring kids back up. And, and uh, so, you know, they are kids are so resilient. And, I mean, the, the other thing I would say is I'm hearing great stories about the kids at this moment, you know, asking their teachers, how are you? And the, the children and young people, they're, they're just so magnificent. And, and, you know, we have to really be tuned into their, their emotional growth and state at this time to try to support them uh, because there is a lot of fear and it's, it's uncertainty, which is hard. So... Uh, I, I try to be optimistic, and I know our, our teaching staff does that, too, and every day kind of bucking up the students and saying, yeah, this is a setback, but it's nothing we can't get over.
0: And, and uh, I mean, maybe last year was too harsh a phrase, but I guess maybe just the fact that, you know, our, we will have to look at some remedial education when this is over.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, there you get into differences, you know, real gaps in in race and class and and money and socioeconomic standing and resources. Um, And that's where we want our public schools to make up the difference, right? Um, uh, But, yeah, uh, and there are big fiscal questions hanging over the state and everybody going ahead, too. And, you know, thinking about, well, if we add learning time back, how do we do that? How do we pay for it? How do we run buildings and staff for extra time? Will people come? <laughs> when do right. we do that? You know, uh, will they be, will they come? You know, if we build it, will they come? Um, you know, if, if schools start somewhat early somewhere in this in the fall, say earlier than normal to try to make up time, is that something a community is going to want? Those are going to be community decisions uh, done by school boards around the state, uh, but they will also be tied to fiscal constraints. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the many things everybody's thinking about right now uh, is what could that look like and what are other things we can do. I'm sure you will see that all of us in the education community kind of trying to provide more and more summer resources that will be free so it's not dependent on your parents' ability to pay uh, that kids can do, even if it's not required, but kids can do to um, not not lose too much
0: uh, I mean there's just as I said it's just it's, it's so much uncharted waters here, yeah. and I mean for example uh, you know how do you how do you do grades uh, when, mm-hmm. you know, yep. in this kind of atmosphere
1: yeah well uh, exactly I mean I, I so I mean the teachers can still give comments and they still are I've talked to you know my field is English so I'm always Talking to English teachers, and they, you know, they're still having papers written, um, and uh, and that's that's relatively easy to do remotely, where you can give feedback on a on a piece of writing. Um, but all sorts of work is still being done. We we've been pushing and promoting this idea of capstone projects at the end. We get close, so maybe you haven't gotten through the entire uh curriculum for you know AP US history or what have you, but can you do a, a project that's really going to help the kids grow um, and that they can learn continually? Uh, having them do a big project as a sort of a year-end thing, and those things often, especially in the upper grades, are they're fairly independent work. You know, you can keep checking in with the teacher, but students can do a lot on their own. Um, I think it, it's harder, you know, in the lower grades.